Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome back in to another wonderful episode of The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast brought to you exclusively on Holosuite Media. I am but one of your co-hosts, Chris Hill, and with me this week is Perry and Jordan, and we also have a special guest, Bruce Gibson. How are you guys doing this week? Eh, yeah, good, right? <laughs> <laughs> still, still alive, so... Wait, did I just hear Pearl Jam playing in the background there? (laughs) I'm not that. (laughs) No, he's not. (laughs) I am, but he's not. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't going to say anything, Bruce. (laughs) I know, I know. Uh, It's just, I, you know, it's so weird because, like, you know, I don't think of myself as old, which I'm not. I know I'm not. But then when I talk to people and they say things like, yeah, I graduated high school in 05 and I'm 85. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, they must think I'm ancient now, you know? <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had you know, a similar experience at work. I was talking to somebody and just talking about some of the things that you know I used to watch as a kid growing up. And I noticed this general look of like confusion <laughs> on my face. And I was just like... I was like, what, you've never heard of the Snorks and Gummy Bears and all that? And he was like, I mean, besides the candy, you know, the Gummy Bear candy, no. And I was like, yeah, it was a whole TV show. And I was like, how did you not know this? And then it turned out that, you know, he was 24 and I'm, thir- I'm 35. And I was like, oh. And he was like, man, you're really old. Like, hey, you're, you're fired. <laughs> first, you're fired. <laughs> Second of all. You know, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't pe- think people really pay attention to age like, I, or don't notice it until you say things right. to date yourself. Well, it's just funny because those shows yeah. you mentioned, I was too old for those. But I remember those because I remember friends of mine babysitting kids watching them. <laughs> so that's how I know them. Wow. <laughs> so so how was your week, Jordan? <laughs> Sorry. Now that we're all old, let's throw it to Jordan. I graduated in 2011, uh, so I'm pretty far, pretty far removed from. But it's been 10 years now, so you know it feels like it's been forever. I'm like the old guy in the club now, you know, so can't really do that anymore. Um, Trying to find new spots where I can hang out with people, you know, my age, you know, about cool things like MySpace and stuff like that that I grew up with. (laughs) But. uh, I, my week was good, man. I'm I'm really enjoying getting back. Uh, really enjoying like not forgetting my mask in my car because it doesn't matter anymore. I always like would yeah. always forget my mask in my car. I have to run back and get it, and then run back into the <laughs> store. Uh, I'm not really doing that back and forth anymore. I'm just you know foregoing the mask. So enjoying uh, the you know getting back to normal life a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it strange though when you for, you're not wearing a mask? Like when I go out now, it's like I walked into the grocery store and I was like in the habit of putting the mask on, and I noticed nobody else is wearing one. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't. 
really need to do this. I'm vaccinated. <laughs> and I take it off and I'm like, this feels really strange. But this is that's normal. And now the normal feels strange to me. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It feels like you're naked walking in there. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that yeah. before too, and that's a weird experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say I've I've uh I've decided to to retire the mask until flu season and bringing it back just because, you know, I'm not gonna chance it with the flu. So you know, that's a good point, because now that we have masks, I may carry mine around. I mean, I, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, let's say I'm in a room with somebody and they walk in and they're just like, oh, you know, hi, excuse me. You, may, you might want to stay away from me for a while because I've got a bit of a cold. I'll just go, oh, that's fine. And I'll put the mask on. <laughs> I'll be prepared. Like, I won't catch it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a part of uh, culture moving forward, I feel like. I feel like everybody's yeah. so used to it. So yeah. Well, have you got anybody who's still wearing the mask? Who's still wearing the mask? You know, have you all talked about that? People who are still wearing a mask, no. even though they've been. Vaccinated. I've seen people with masks, but I don't know if they're yeah. vaccinated or not. Well, it's come up a couple times at work. You know, we've got uh, several people who are already vaccinated, but they still prefer mm-hmm. to wear a mask, and um, it's just like, well, why? Why do you? Why do you want to? And and I just leave them alone. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. You know, if you want to wear it, wear it. I don't not going to get involved in that but i just thought that was interesting that there are some people who are continuing to wear it even though they've been mm. vaccinated yeah, yeah probably because they're used to it or or they don't brush their teeth and they know they have bad breath and so that's why they're wearing the mask it is a great filter yes, for that. yes it, it is. does take a while for the breath to travel to travel through yes it is a great filter for that <laughs> like uh, excuse yeah. me could you put your mask on you kind of have bad breath right now mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad. Th- I'm glad that you're vaccinated. But can you put that back on? Because apparently it did not cure your halitosis. <laughs> so yeah, t- talking about alternate use uses for masks isn't really what we're here for today. Um, oh, so it is a fun conversation. No one told me that. <laughs> I'm, yeah, a- I'm on the wrong show. Then I thought this was the mask show. <laughs> Our uh, wonderful 47th episode today is going to be about uh the season three episode four uh regime so that's what we're uh going to be talking about and bruce uh said he wanted to to join us and this was the first opportunity he got so we're we're happy to have you on board yeah thanks for having me and i'm so glad i didn't even realize until right before the show it's episode 47 so i'm glad this is my first time well it could be my only time i don't know it depends but i'm glad this is my time (laughs) on the show as at 47 yeah so yeah before we uh get into into the discussion though uh, don't forget to like subscribe and Give us the the five star rating. If you leave us, you know, like a four star rating, tell us what you can tell us what we can do to improve. I mean, because if you're not going to give us the five star, at least give us a way to improve. And yes, we know <laughs> we are not a uh, podcast about the sci fi series The Expanse. So we we had, we had a uh, iTunes the other we had one. an iTunes comment about that, Bruce. So that that's sort of why I, why I brought it up. <laughs> Some. Some false. I didn't ad- even think about it. Some false yeah. advertising there. Yeah. Yeah, that. Could well, you know, we, people. But that—that's—that's that's how you get more listeners. Yeah, you know the old bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's an expanse podcast out there called Enterprise right now. It's pretty. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, um, like I said, we also uh, do have a Patreon, and I'll leave those details for you right here. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all of our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode. So, this week, like I said earlier, we we're going to be talking about Regine. Um, with this episode, we uh, the uh, Enterprise takes on board this woman named Regine, and she uh, we find out that she actually winds up having ulterior motives through through you know help with the Zindi trying to figure out you know human human and Vulcan anatomy. Um, some highlights from this episode is the, uh, the market where we first see her at. They also, uh, get a recipe to synthesize their own version of Trillium D to line the holes to protect from the anomalies within the expanse. And, uh, we also find out that movie night's going to be coming back. So that's, that's pretty much this episode in a nutshell. So, uh, what were your guys' first thoughts on, on this episode? Uh, we'll go ahead and go with the guest of honor first. Bruce, how, what do you, what'd you think? <gasps> oh, you put me, put me on the spot. Um, you know, this was an yeah. interesting episode for me because I've seen all episodes of Enterprise. I saw them as they came out. And when I went to watch, and, and so I've never done like a rewatch from beginning to end. I just jump around. I picked episodes based on mm-hmm. things somebody was talking about or somebody I think about an episode. I'm like, I haven't watched that in a while. This is one that I may not have seen since the original airing. Because when I was watching this, I was like, I don't remember seeing this in a long, long time. Maybe I've seen it twice, but it's been a long time. But the thing that stuck out to me the most while watching this was it reminded me of something you would see maybe on TOS. It, it felt like an original yeah. series episode because I guess the whole sensual thing and the music when Rajin is kind of seducing Archer, that music sounded like from the original series. But I liked it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Had that old school vibe to it. I can say any, anything else you'd like to elaborate on, Jordan? Um, there were a couple, couple interesting parts that I noticed on the rewatch that I probably didn't notice the first time, you know, when you're, I watched the episode just like Bruce did as, you know, as they all came out. Um, so for me at that time, it was just like how it played into the Zindi arc overall. Um, and this time I noticed like a couple, uh, just interesting side bits. I like how, you know, the lab blows up and then, um, you know, they're talking about, well, maybe maybe the reason the lab blew up is because Trip is tired and he needs more neuro pressure like that somehow. Yeah. It's gonna, you know, 
the entire lab just exploded and they're just to Paul's like, yeah, just come by my quarters in 30 minutes and we'll make, we'll do some neuro pressure and make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, so I don't know. There were just some interesting little like sidebars that I was paying attention to this time on the rewatch, um, that were fun for me to notice, you know, uh, kind of the minutia that we talked about. So, um, but yeah. All right. Perry, your, uh, initial thoughts. Um, for me, this is one of those episodes that, um, I, I, it's like a do nothing episode. Like it does, it does nothing for me. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that it's bad. It's just, I feel like there are other ways they could have achieved the whole, um, let's get the information on human physiology without having to send the, the sexy woman trope to infiltrate the crew and pretty much everyone's dumb to what's going on except you know it takes it takes um ultimately her attacking to paul before anybody recognizes that there's really an issue um you know it's like clearly archer has a thing for blondes this is the second time a blonde <laughs> woman's come into play for him and he's and he's been otherwise you know dumbfounded with her I- until much later um I did enjoy seeing the marketplace and all of the different types of aliens and everything like that. I love it when Star Trek does that, when they give us scenes that are like just filled with this, you know, sea of, of different types of aliens and, you know, just kind of showing off their, you know, makeup and costuming ability and stuff like that. You know, it's rare that they do that. I don't think that like the last time I can think of that they did that was, Deep Space Nine, yeah. some of the opener scenes, you see this, you know, just random aliens kind of coming around. And then, of course, in a couple of the movies with the original uh, series cast, you know, they did a great job on, you know, highlighting some different aliens then. But other than that, you just don't see it that much. So I always think it's cool just to show that there's more than just humans, Vulcans, and Klingons running around. Like, there are other aliens that probably don't even have names yet that are just out there. So I like seeing that. Um, yeah, the whole... The whole reason why they can't do anything with Trillium is because Trip's tired and he needs to Paul's special touch <laughs> in order to uh, get things going. Just again, I'm like, man, y'all, there's got to be something else that we can do. <laughs> yeah, here. that's kind of what I was thinking. I mean, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, buddy, you go get that neural pressure. I'm going to need you to do it, you know, but I guess. Now, having watched it several times and I'm older, I'm just like, man, yeah, there's so much more y'all could have given us here instead of this but you know i guess berman must be served yeah <laughs> but but yeah you know uh again uh, not a bad episode just not one that i felt like was totally necessary to the story arc that they're working on that is here. interesting i want to make a comment to what you were saying about you know did they really to get these bio readings that the zindi needed did they really need to use her and do all that and it didn't occur to me until you said that that you know the zindi were able to go onto the ship, onto the Enterprise at one point, and get her out mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. Um, you know, when she was locked the up brig. in, you know, whatever that is, the brig. Yeah, but they could have just done that same thing without her, got on the Enterprise, grabbed right. someone, kidnapped them, take them on the ship and leave, and take them to a lab, do the bio readings and whatever, because they don't care about what she yeah. And they, I mean, and they, they could have taken Flox. I mean, yeah. he's their doctor. You know, they could have taken him and gotten all the information that they ever could have wanted. You know, I mean, it's clear they had no problem with breaking the Enterprise's security and personnel and everything else, you know, because they got her in and out or they got her out, you know. So, yeah, they could have easily come in, 
stolen the the information from the computer, taken flocks, taken another human, done all these different things effortlessly. And then we could have had a whole other arc about rescuing rescuing flocks or trying to determine what they want that information for. All these things that we really don't get with Regine. And then, you know, even at the end of the episode when she delivers her information, she's then whisked away like we never see her again there's no follow-up right and so we're given these little tidbits about she was you know stolen away from her home she doesn't know where her home planet is she is she bonding with the crew is she not bonding with the crew like all this stuff and then it's done it's gone it's just like okay what like you you've left me with all these cliffhangers here and you do nothing to tie them up later on like are we going to see her again is archer going to rescue her they're going to convince her to work for them like like all kinds of stuff that just never we they never go anywhere with it was like yeah this again is a do nothing episode there was no point well maybe if we uh jump back into the season five writer's room (laughs) we can uh do a follow-up on this one okay so that would be cool. That would be cool. I don't know. I can't. We'll have to. Yeah, I I thought it was kind of a filler episode too. Um, it was really just designed. It seemed like to um, to further Enterprise's research of the Trellium D, mm-hmm. and then to kind of show some of the the Zindis. This is our first real encounter with the Zindi in the Expanse. Um, so it showed us, you know, some of their their weapons and their tactics, kind of like. Um, you know, we got a, we got to see from the Makos in the season premiere. Um, so I, I thought it, it was cool to see some of those things in the episode. Those were my favorite parts. But overall, in terms of, you know, moving the narrative along, yeah, there, I, this was an interesting approach. I felt like there was a lot that they could have done differently or better. Um, as far as, like, uh, taking, taking somebody off Enterprise, I like to think... Um, what's the word canonically or or in universe maybe the explanation is because e2 was flying around too mm-hmm. um you know they talked about in that episode how they had you know ghosts they kept asking him they kept asking archer you know how many ships do you have in the expanse and that might have been one of the reasons why um and so maybe they didn't know exactly where they were going to be maybe they just planted somebody there in the hopes that they would um that they would come by that market because it's probably a pretty popular market. Um, it's probably, you know, one of those exotic locations in the expanse that everybody goes to to trade, um, trading hotspot. And, um, I, I liked it too. It reminded me a lot of broken bow, um, reminded me a lot of broken bow. So I, I kind of felt like it was almost reused in a sense, but they did a few things to differentiate it, but I felt like I could have easily seen that market in the, on, what was it, Rigel, Rigel 4 or whatever, where where they initially started. Ten. Rigel 10, where the show initially started. All right. So um, moving on to the uh, the title character. Moving on to the title character of Regine. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on, on her species, like how they're able to acquire information? Uh, Perry, we'll go ahead and start with you on this one. So I have to admit to a bit of confusion on that point. Like, um... I wasn't sure that this was something that was specific to her species or was this something that had been done to her, like an ability okay. she had been given um, by by the Zindi, you know, to, to gather information for them. You know, like they, I don't feel like they really made it expressly clear that this is something that her people did. I mean, because we don't really talk about her people very much other than to say that she doesn't know them, doesn't remember them. She was taken away from her planet a long time ago. So, I mean... 
in those intervening years, that could that could be something that again genetic alterations could be the, the you know uh, could have been the outcome of that. You know, they could have made her um, able to do that. Like maybe her real ability was the ability to um, I guess disarm people, get close to them um lower their guard a bit you know and then they just enhanced her with while she's able to make them lose focus and not be you know suspicious of her she now has this with her hands can scan their bodies and and everything else so yeah it just like not enough explanation for me to feel like it was um really i guess specifically special to her species um, I just felt like it was, yeah, this, the seduction thing and the look and all that. That was the main thing we were supposed to focus on. That was the true ability as of her. You know? Okay. But other than that, I mean, she doesn't really do anything for me. Um, I thought that, she, again, it just, everything else was kind of just fell flat. Her interactions just, yeah, nothing else. But that's it for me. <laughs> all right, Jordan. Um, I can't remember another time in the Star Trek universe where we see a species who can actually use, you know, their body to scan things. Um, and I think it's, Perry brings up a really interesting point. I, I had actually never considered the fact that she might have been like genetically modified to do that. I, I felt like the way it was presented, um, she was like, she had this in, innate ability to be able to do that. Which, of course, I thought was interesting because she appears human, mm-hmm. you know? She, like, looks human. I think, I don't know if at the end of the episode they added some some they, makeup to make... Those were there in the beginning, so... They were yeah. there in the beginning? Okay. Yeah, okay. she had, like, some scales or something, some, like, right? Some, like, Yeah, they're, they're by her eyes. Something like right that. Right on the side. Okay. So, yeah, I... But, you know, typically... Um, all alien species, they have, you know, whatever level of technology and they're utilizing technology to be able to conduct scans that way. So I thought it was interesting that she was able to do, um, to, to do that with her biology, with her physiology. And, uh, you know, the damage that she did to T'Pol was actually pretty serious. It was, mm-hmm. again, you know, the Vulcan uh, neurophysiology that saved T'Pol's life and her being a Vulcan, anybody else would have been dead. So I thought that that was, um, I liked that aspect of it because even though she's just conducting scans, right, they're just supposed to be non-lethal. Ideally, you want to leave that person alive or whatever, but um, she got interrupted. And so she had to, I don't know if she had to speed up her scan or what she did differently, but um, that kind of, that kind of intimate, um, you know, scan or, or whatever she was doing, it, it had a really damaging effect for T'Pol. And so the implications of that, you know, for science, you, you know, you make you make the tiniest little genetic change or you make the tiniest little change um, inside the body. It can really affect things and mess them up. So as we as we continue to explore that frontier, um, I thought that that was something that Star Trek did really well of taking note of that. How how um, like vulnerable and sensitive uh, biology and physiology is. Okay, Bruce. Yeah, I I didn't know what to make of her species. I I did look online to see if I could find something that explains them a little more, but there's nothing that I could find. I 
I understood the whole thing that she has this sensuality that kind of captivates people, put them in, like in a trance. Okay, I've got that piece. But then the whole scanning thing was like, okay, why would somebody have this ability to do this? Like, why would a species need to have the ability to scan the biology of another species or another one of their own? And then I kept thinking, like, does she have some device on her that I'm not seeing? And then the thing that really threw me off is at the end, when she displays the data, it looks like it's coming from a computer. Like, I can understand if somebody has the ability to scan to see the insides of something, but then how do you, mm -hmm. like, throw your hands down on a table and display it like it's a computer image and showing you with little Absolutely. arrows where things are? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I Okay, Bruce said it better than I did. He he absolutely nailed it. Like he said it much better than I did. I totally agree. Like again, I think that we were seeing two different things here. I think that we, her her ability was this this sensitivity, this sensuality that made people susceptible to her being able to you know like scan them. She kind of puts them in a trance, you know. And then the scan itself is technology that's built into her hands. That's why yeah, she's able to like it downloads into the into the desk when she touches it with the Zindi and pops up like a computer readout, you know? Um, yeah, that is totally separate from her actual ability, which is that, you know, sensual pressure or whatever. And that's another reason why it doesn't affect Paul, to Paul the same way. You know, Vulcan's, obviously, the mental structure is different, and that's why it ended up hurting to Paul in the end more than it did when she scanned Archer, and Archer just kind of, like, snaps out of it, and she's... She's already scanned them and they're standing apart when, you know, when in that initial scene with her and Archer, they're very, very close yeah. and she's running her hands all over them and everything else. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that these these were two totally separate things and they just didn't do a very good job of explaining to us that what we were seeing were two different attributes, one one natural versus one artificial. Yeah. Okay. I think that that technique she used, it may not even be so much of a, we keep using the word scanning and that has like an artificial, you know, uh, stigma to or with it, you know, but I think when I watched first watched the episode, I was like, okay, you know, yes, she, she has this innate sensuality and this ability to disarm. But I think that was, I felt like that was built into her touch. Like I felt like to Paul was like, um, like it, it showed that she was really like enjoying the encounter almost, but she was also resisting it at the same time. Um, it felt like whatever she was doing, like it was more than touching. Like it was, it was triggering, you know, endorphins in the brain. Like it was like, it was messing with people's brains and that's, and that, that would be like biological almost. Cause like when you get trying to think of a real world, you know, um, similar scenario to that, but sometimes um i can't even think of one but when you i felt like when when she was like running her fingers down her back or whatever like it was it was how their species is sensual and and that's the vibes that i was getting from it and then but i have no explanation for how she was able to you know take that data and transpose it at the end there onto the zindi computers you know you would think that they would need some kind of um, and maybe they did, maybe they, they knew cause they dealt with her species before. So they had an interface rigged up. Um, but I felt like it was less scanning and more, more biological than that. I don't feel like it was, uh, I didn't 
feel like she was genetically modified to do that. It felt like it was a natural yeah, talent. I agree. Well, that was my initial response to it. Mm-hmm. That that was just something, the sensual thing that she does. She's able to, you know, feel not just the outside of their body, but can use her hands to, you know, go inside their bodies and feel and see right. things and whatever. She has this whole physical connection. But then right. when you find out, oh, they're using her to get these bio signs, well, then how does she transmit that to them in a computer? And I guess you could say maybe she's kind of like an empath that then can take that and she telepathically links with their computer system to give the data of what she's seen, you know? And then the computer just takes that and displayed that. I, I don't know. I mean, there's it's never explained that you can go either way with these, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that just highlights the main point there, which is, you know, they don't give us enough information for us to really determine what's the true, what's the true ability here. Are they, is it two separate things? Are they all one thing connected? Um, yeah, we just, we're just not given enough information about this character beyond her being this exotic, beautiful woman who can do this. Like, right. You don't, right, right. we don't get enough, you know, and I think that's kind of indicative of a problem that we were seeing that we see a trend of in not just enterprise, but also like in Voyager to a certain extent too, you know, they, they went away from explaining um, an alien's ability, you know, like there used to be a little time built, uh, built into that introduction of a new alien race as to why they can do what they do might not be much. It might just really be two minutes of conversation, but at least there was something there to give us an explanation for why they can do what they do. And um, I guess someone decided that was, I guess, played out or was overdone or whatever. So they went away with it, went away from it. And now we're just left with gaping holes as to explanations, you know, and you gotta, gotta do all the supplementary reading and research to find out any glimmer of, information right so there is none interesting distinction she was she was very she was probably the most empathic species that we've ever seen but she was not telepathic yeah so you know that could have been like a a door for the writers to use to be able to make her transmit that information more easily she could have telepathically communicated that um to somebody else but instead they went with a strictly empathic approach um and had her you know, obviously she, she can use her biology to interact with not just people, but with technology as well, which is, is pretty fascinating. Um, but I agree. There's a lot of, a lot of little plot holes, but, um, overall I felt like I was able to fill them in using, you know, what I knew about the Trek universe and just, um, what I knew about, um, I just, whatever they were trying to, to say in this episode. Okay. So yeah, okay. We're, kind of leading into the to the next thing I was wanting to talk about, which was, you know, how she acquired the info, you know, specifically, you know, how each each uh, instance was different be- between Archer, Hoshi, and T'Pol. And I also did find it kind of interesting that those were three of the four people that contracted the uh, Lokek virus. So, like I said, we can take, take a little bit, little bit of time talking about that. So, uh, Bruce, if you want to go ahead and expound upon this you know how you how you how you enjoyed your well, i wouldn't say enjoyed but how you saw you know her getting the uh the information from archer hoshi and t'pol and you know how it just happened to be that these were the three that, that they chose 
Yeah, I never, I didn't even consider why they chose these three. So that's interesting. Um, I did enjoy it. I wish she was doing that to me, honestly. Um, but <laughs> we won't tell your wife. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. She's used to it. Um, I, you know, this this just seems like the thing of Enterprise. You know, we it was mentioned earlier about Broken Bow, and it, that that's the mm-hmm. thing when they went into developing this series, they wanted to make it a little more sensual. And if anything. When I was watching those scenes, I kept thinking Gene Roddenberry would have loved this because Gene Roddenberry is very much into sensuality and sexual things. And I thought this would be a very if Gene Roddenberry were still alive, he'd probably say, I like that episode. (laughs) Actually, it probably (laughs) was his idea and somebody found it somewhere. But um, but, you know, I thought it was interesting how she does it with Archer. And then when she runs into Hoshi, it's not just a matter of oh, I'm going to get the data. I got it from Archer. I'm done. Because she goes to the transporter. you know. So, so yeah. I feel like her, her job was accomplished. But then when she runs to Hoshi, she uses her abilities to control people to not just scan them or whatever it is that she's doing, but to also get her way out of things. And so I like seeing it's like, it's not just, oh, she's a woman, so she goes to a man, but she'll also go to a woman. So it's implied that when she gets on the lift with Hoshi, she's probably doing the same thing. And then, of course, we'll get a Vulcan reading, right? Which surprises me she didn't yeah. try to go to Phlox and get his reading, right? So, um, but she also ran into that one guy in a lift, like a security guy, mm-hmm. and it was implied she started doing something to him, too. So I think just Which I think that was part is, of her just trying to escape, so... Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, if <laughs> if you went to her planet and they go hunting, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous, I know. But if, they, if they're hunting, <laughs> they may go up to animals and do that to them to take control of them before they kill them and eat them. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. <sighs> Sounds like something out of Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was going to say, go ahead, Perry. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, you you brought up that she picked the three people who also had the the Lokek virus. I didn't really make that connection until just now. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. They all all three of them did have it. I just took it as more opportunistic. Like I think we knew from the get go that Archer was mm-hmm. going to be one of the people that was scanned. You know, because he was the one who rescued her. He was the one that was having the most contact um, with her initially. You know, um, I think that. Um, I think T'Pol was certainly on the list because, you know, at this point, you know, the Zindi, they have some information and they know that there are some aliens on the, on the ship, you know? And so I think that it was, her mission was to just scan as many, you know, diverse bodies as she could, you know? And then I feel like the scan of Hoshi was really just opportunistic. You know, it was, she was trying to get access to the transporter. Hoshi stumbled upon her. And now she was trying to, you know, turn the situation to her advantage. And it's like, hey, you know, here's someone who's a little bit different. And she's an alien herself. She doesn't know if Hoshi's a a human or not. She looks different from the other ones that she's, you know, encountered. So as far as she's concerned, she's just, you know, dropping onto that opportunity to scan someone who's different from who she scanned already. And, and that's it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it it didn't occur to me that it was the, of the, of the, she she scanned a male and now she needs to scan a female. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so, and, and as far as I was, you know, as far as she's concerned, I mean, 
that purpose is served with to Paul, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, she, so she she has no way to like if you want to be totally in the universe about it, she has no way of knowing exactly what a human female looks like, you know. Yeah, we're not we're not a cut and dry, you know, cut and paste species or anything like that. So yeah, she has no way of knowing. She saw the difference and she jumped on the opportunity to scan that difference. That's maybe all. she was just thinking that Earth was a, a monoculture species. Yeah, we don't know how much the Zindi told her about Earth and its people, you know, other than these are humans yeah. get us information. You know? The people on this ship, we need information on the people on this ship. Get us as much information on the people as on this ship as you can. So, yeah, and I mean, why would they tell her more? I mean, you have to think that the the Zindi at least being, if we're going to give them any kind of militaristic credit, you have to think that they wouldn't tell her the full ins and outs of what they are really wanting from her just because she might get captured. If she gets captured, they don't want her potentially revealing their plans. And she does get captured in the episode. She ends up in the brig, you know. Archer tries questioning her. She has no information to give him other than if you don't, let me out of here they're gonna kill us they're gonna kill me they're gonna they're gonna come for me like that that was the only thing well, she, she did really say they're gonna build a bioweapon so, she did tell yeah. him that that's right mm. which he didn't know but i, well, I wonder and, and, why they even that told could her be, that to begin with you know right and, and that might be something that they, maybe they didn't necessarily tell her maybe she overheard that or maybe that's just something that information like if this is something that she's done before Maybe she knows that that's how the information is going to be used because it's been done previously, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like she was just trying to get a feel for the transporter when Hoshi stumbled on her. And then the, the encounter with T'Pol happened right. afterwards, right? Yeah. After that. So I, I felt like she still needed to scan like a, a female human. Uh, but and, and Hoshi was like her first opportunity. So she, you know... Uh, she di- distracted from her trying to learn the transporter system and use that opportunity to scan Hoshi. But it's interesting, like why she would choose to Paul and not Flox. You know, it, it really, it really does seem. I don't know. Like I, I just, I don't know why that she wouldn't scan the only other alien on board if she was trying to collect as much intelligence as possible. Um, well, but the yeah, but. She- Sorry, but she was never left alone with with Flocks. You know, yeah, I mean, when she first when she first is contact comes into contact with Flocks, there's not only is Archer there, but there's a guard there, and they're in in the med bay. You know, so I don't think she really had the opportunity. Whereas with Tapal, she's in Tapal's quarters. It's just those two. It's a very close, intimate setting. It was just like she had way more opportunity to do that how, and, and influence Tapal than she did Flocks. How did she find Tapal's quarters? Like she knew where Flocks was. She could have gone back to him and be like, "Hey, I have a headache," and done the same thing. And literally, she sought out a Tapal, like a Vulcan, the only other alien on board. So you know, it's either. It's either that she was given instructions to do that, um, or or it was just an opportunistic thing. I don't know how she would have found out that she was even in her quarters. She could have been on duty or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that part is a little. Well, let me ask me. you this then: Why did she even bother to scan to Paul? Because isn't the idea of the bioweapon is to be used on Earth to kill the humans? Why do they need Vulcan humans? I I I literally am lost on that part. I, that's the which, same thing I'm same point again, I'm trying I, to make 
which again just kind of I feel like helps me out a bit with my argument of they the that the Zindi did not tell her much. They were just like, get on the ship, get scans, yeah. get out. Right. You know, so she wasn't. She might have known about a bioweapon, but maybe she didn't know that it was targeting specifically humans. She just thought it could be targeting the people on this ship. And again, she has no way of knowing whether or not humans and Vulcans live on the same planet or not. As far as she's concerned, they're all from the same the same uh, yeah. planet, you know? So yeah, she's just doing her job of scanning all the aliens on the ship. And again, to her, everyone's an alien. Right. So she's just scanning people. And uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, but she doesn't. I don't feel like she intentionally was seeking out to Paul's quarters. I feel like she was kind of just wandering around and discovered. Them. Yeah, that 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 sort of makes more sense with how how the rest of the episode's kind of gone. Is she just happens to stumble upon it, and I think that's that might be a, a little weak moment in the writing room. You know, she just happens to get what she needs yeah. when she needs it. Right. You just so happened to stumble upon the first officer's quarters. Great. Got it. Yeah, but you know exactly. the writer's room, they're like, we have to have her due to Paul. I mean, we have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, and, and maybe I'm I'm still going to blame Berman heavily yeah. on this one. Maybe not the writers, but maybe Berman is standing over ev- all of them in the writer's <laughs> room, glaring at them, being like, I'm waiting for you to get to my scene. Like, he's just He's just there to make sure that, you know, his eye candy yeah. happens. You know, and then as soon as it's done, he's out. He's out the door. So, yeah. But see, the things that we see on screen doesn't mean we've seen everything. For all we know, she scanned other members on the crew that we just didn't see. Yeah. I mean, she's in the she's in the turbo lift with that one right. random guy. And she gives him, a you know, the look, you know, um, there's no reason to think that while they were in the turbo lift, she didn't scan him well, as well. I mean, why not? I'm going to say for and me. Porthos. She scanned yeah. Porthos at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Again, oh, yeah. that goes back to the fact that she's just scanning everything and every everything living on the ship. That's her mission: get on the ship, make scans, get out. Right. She doesn't know what's important or not, who's yeah. important or not. And to Jordan's scanning. point, we shouldn't be saying scanning, but that's the best word at this point. <laughs> I know. I wish there was another. But yeah, well, to me, it it seems like this did kind of fail because the uh, reptilians did have to travel back to you know early two thousands Detroit to get. Uh, better readings just because she was only able to get Archer and pull and they the virus kind of uh, interrupted the readings because they were literally just recovering from it when she scanned them now correct me if I'm wrong though wasn't that mission to go back in time wasn't that a side private mission by the reptilians that they weren't supposed to be yeah, doing I think so yeah that's right I think so, they were I mean, to... so obviously the Zindi Council was aware of Regine. They were aware of Regine and her getting out there and getting scans, but I don't think that they were all aware they weren't all aware of the the uh time travel plot. And when they find out about it later on, they're all pretty upset that the reptilians went ahead with this plan because it was like they had apparently discussed it at one point, but then the council had voted to not do that. So they were pretty upset when they found out that the reptilians had carried on that you know, I guess, B-plot on their own, you know? So, yeah, I don't think that Regine ties into, okay. ties into well, that. Well, we'll find out when we get to, when, when we get to Carpenter Street. <laughs> it is interesting to think about, because, um, like, why would the Zindi have not used the data that they gathered here? Yes, yes, the council decided not to go forward with it, but they still gathered 
bio readings that they could have used to make a bio weapon and then forego traveling back in time at all. So what what was the purpose of them traveling back in time? Was were they going to deploy the bio weapon then and there in the past? Um, you know that yeah. maybe is the only logical explanation I can think of that they were setting up to do it then. I mean, and that was it. They were they were going to release the bio weapon in the past. Right. The point was to decimate humanity before humanity ever got to a point to threaten the Zindi. And what better time to do that when than when they were a pre warp society right. you know and so that was that was the whole point then so that also just kind of shows that this regime episode like what's the point yeah. you know it doesn't really do anything for the storyline the overarching storyline of the expanse and the zindi and the conflict and everything else at least the time travel one ties into the fact that we're dealing with extra dimensional beings who have it out for humanity for whatever reason and we see them later on talking across timelines so at least we can understand why there is some time travel involved here plus i mean obviously archer archer and daniels the the constant back and forth with those two so time travel was pretty heavily interwoven in this the regime storyline not so much. I agree. Okay. So, um, with the uh, the last one being to pull and you know the neural pressure coming in here to to save the day, um, do you do you think? Well, thought, thoughts on on having a neural pressure session, kind of saving to pull on this one. Mm. Plot device, plot device, plot device. <laughs> yeah. I was I I didn't even catch that. I really focused on Fox's explanation, which was just Vulcan neurophysiology and how it's more dense than normal normal people's. That was the saving well, grace for her. Trip um, Trip was coming to you know coming for the neural pressure oh, session. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's yeah. That's what yeah. stopped the, he, the attack. Or or I mean it didn't stop the attack. It interrupted it because she she you, you see how when the when the doorbell rang, she like stepped back almost. Mm-hmm. So maybe she like maybe she screwed up because she was doing what she was doing very intently, and and with all the other members of the crew um, that she did that to, she was able to make them think she was able to back out of that and make them think that nothing happened. Yeah, and I assume that she would have done the same with T'Pol, but she wasn't given that opportunity because Trip interrupted her. So I think that Trip's interruption may have actually caused the damage. Well, and then the well, Tapar was yeah. already resisting, right? And so Tapar was already probably causing some of the damage herself because she was fighting the control. True. I think that it probably would have ended up worse for her because Tapar was fighting it, and so that meant that Regine was having to increase her her ability, you know, increase the strength, right, That's in order true. to maintain her hold on. Paul. So the longer that she had to increase this strength or whatever to hold Paul in place, the more damage that was possibly being done. And if Trip hadn't come along and interrupted her, she probably could have killed her, you know. Uh, so he inadvertently saves her life with the fact that he is coming to get yet another neuropressure session from our uh, yeah, first officer. He's trail MD, you know. He yeah. failed at that because he needs this. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sorry, what a terrible name for this element, Charlie MD. I mean, so many innuendo and jokes 
being made here. You know, the Enterprise has got to get that D in order to... <laughs> I just... So many things that my brain kept coming up with while watching this episode, both the first time and, well, every time. So I was just like, man, y'all could have... Pick, pick another pick another number a letter please why couldn't it have been trillium s i mean like yeah, yeah cuz trillium a is Man. easy but trillium d it's special <laughs> uh, makes me wonder what b and c yeah, are i was wondering that too. right right you you can't help but when you when you hear the lettering you've got to wonder what we what happens why why is there only d where is a b and c you know and, what and are those you know, used why, for why are they are as you know useful against these anomalies, right? Yeah. Well, they talk about Charlie M A in another episode. Well, it's know, it's in this I think one. It's a previous episode. Yeah. That oh, was it. This one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because they're explaining right. at the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. With Spice yeah, Boy. that's right. <laughs> Spice Boy. <laughs> Ma'am, someone has a nose yeah. fixation. In the writer's room. So, yeah, since, since th- this is a good that. segue into talking about the this scene here where Tripp's handing over the, the spices, so. I like how he says wars were fought what? over this when he gives they it were. to him. Because they were. <laughs> He's not they wrong. They were. You're, it's like, you're, you're not wrong, you know. No. I, I love that scene. I love that, that the spices are the, the trade that's made. I mean, normally we see it's other stuff like we know. Obviously, we talked about... You know, mm-hmm. stripping the platinum in in an earlier scene, and so obviously precious metals are there. But I just love that it was something Simple. so mm-hmm. innocuous that we take, yeah, that we take for granted. I mean, the guy was like absolutely elated to have knows. pepper, you know, <laughs> and he was just, yeah, he was through the moon excited to have pepper. So it's just like, yeah, I I love that. And then he sneezes. That yeah. Fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they back up like a full six feet too. They're like, okay, social distancing. <laughs> Wait, speaking of, of sneezes, this kind of goes off topic. But when the Zindi were on the ship and they were shooting and they did that blob that mm-hmm. stuck to the wall that yeah. shut the little dog. Oh sound, yeah, it looked like a giant. I thought about yeah. Keenzer from uh, Beyond. Star Trek yeah, yeah. Beyond. <laughs> Where he sneezes and everything's in. But it just reminded me of that. Yeah. yeah. Another sneeze thing. Yeah. Also, I thought that they should have maybe done one insectoid ship and one uh, reptilian ship because there was an insectoid yeah. who boarded. They literally showed a scene. And so you obviously get the sense that those two species are tight. You know what I mean? So they probably knew about the bioweapon in the past yeah. as well. Mm. Well, I and I think that I, I totally agree. I think that the reason that we just don't see the insectoids that much is because they're uh, Obviously, they are very CGI'd mm-hmm. Complete species. CGI. So yeah. it was just like it was like, yeah, we're gonna have to tone this down because it's expensive, and Correct. we don't want to keep we don't want to yeah. keep having to do this. So because yeah, we don't see much of the of the of the insectoids or the aquatics, you know. Um, so yeah, just anything to cut out that CG budget, CGI budget, they did. And speaking of sneezes. Um, you know, like I said, nose fixations, like you, you talked about, uh, Kinzer, you know, also on discovery, yeah. they've got Linus who has the, Nicole. the, mm-hmm. when he gets sick and he just, yeah, when he gets sick and he just unloads on that one officer, yeah. it's officer mansplaining. and then of course you, <laughs> yeah, oh, right, that guy. And then of course, you know, we have in Voyager, the, oh, I thought yeah. you were going discovery. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I said Linus already. You didn't hear. Oh, I was no, just I talking about Linus. Okay. I thought yeah, you were I was just about talking Kinsir. about Linus. 
uh, well, uh, but uh, and then of course in Discovery we've got the alien with the big bulbous nose mm-hmm. and counterpoint, you know, and so he's doing his little speech and his nose just puffs up like a little balloon. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's like yeah, they've they've got there's some nose fascination <laughs> in Star Trek that we keep picking up on. Which you know kind of seems to have started with the Bajorans with their little ridges. Have we ever seen a Bajoran sneeze? Yeah, Kira when she's yeah, pregnant. Kira, when Kira oh, gets when, right, yeah. yeah, when Kira gets pregnant, like that's, thirteen times. <laughs> that's their morning yeah, sickness. They were they were counting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. They would take bets on it. I forgot. <laughs> so, uh, do you, do you think that that Regine was truly an evil person or just more gun for hire? I wouldn't even call her a gun for hire. I think she was just a slave who had yeah. a slave mentality. Yeah. You know, she was just used to, used to being used, used to being, you know, under threat of personal injury or death, do this, you know, and she just comes across as a very, you know, flat, kind of broken character. And, you know, she, at the end, you know, she's kind of advocating for humans a little bit because, you know, they come in and, humans are the first ones to treat her decently, you know, like Archer's telling her over and over again, she's not a slave. He doesn't own her. You know, she's got free reign on the ship. You know, they, they encouraged her to, you know, interact much to their own detriment, but they did, you know? And so then at the end, she's like, yeah, there's more to these humans than you think. She's trying to explain that, Hey, they're not the people you think they are. And they just, you know, whisk her away (laughs) and out of the room. Right, you know, like you know, it's like yeah, we, we got what we need from you. We don't want to hear that, <laughs> right? Like again, just reinforcing that she was a useless, she was nothing, she was a slave to them. You know, it was like yeah, we got what we need for you. You're done, and they just, she was gone. You know, right. so yeah, I just think she, that's all she was. Bruce, I uh... well, my initial thoughts were that she's not a bad person. She's just like you guys were saying. It's like she's a slave. She's just doing what she's told to do or she's, you know, getting paid to do this. It's just a job, whatever it is. But the more I started thinking about it, the more I thought I, th- I would favor her more on the bad side, that she is a bad person because she does know that whatever she's doing is to help support the development of a biological weapon. And and maybe she's forced to do it and she has no choice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she doesn't know humans. I don't think she really knows the Zindi that well. She doesn't know the circumstances. And she just takes the job and is like, okay, I'll get this information for you guys so you can kill this race. You know? And, again, it's hard to say, you know, because we don't know her situation totally and how she got involved in this. But if she is a slave and if she's being made to do this, then maybe she's not really a bad person. But she knows she's doing something bad. Okay. Yeah, I'd say it really speaks to to the endearing qualities of humanity a lot because once she met the humans on board the NX01, that was that was really when she started to I mean she she they were, she was treated with decency like like Perry was saying, they were the only ones in her entire life to probably treat her with decency, and I think at the very end when she's taken uh, by the insectoids and by the reptilians and she looks at Archer and they exchange that look I think there's some remorse in her eyes um, which is crazy because you know she she's being treated well and she still goes ahead with what she's doing but I think it's to Perry's point because she's afraid of reprisal yeah um, if you're a child and you're taken out of your taken from your home 
and everything that you've ever known and and you you're a slight a slave for you know your entire life your entire existence i can understand why she would do what she did even after being shown you know um decency and, and sympathy and things like that but she i could tell that also her character started to reevaluate that at the very end and she tried to even explain it to the council and they were like no nah, we don't want to hear that um but i think that it it airs more on the side of her not being a bad person but just a victim of circumstance it sucks you know uh you know because you don't want to you don't want to dwell on that victim mentality people are still responsible for their actions um but it really gives you insight Mm. insight into that victim mentality because um you know i won't say she didn't know any better she knew she was going to do harm but she had to look out for number one which was herself because no one else had ever looked out so how would you feel if the zindi hired her to go into enterprise and kill archer would she do it see I, I just I feel like you're you're giving her too much. Like I, I think it would be a completely different situation if she was hired to kill Archer because at that point she isn't a slave; she is a mercenary. But I think that um, and so then being a mercenary, her motivations are totally different. But I think that I really just think that she was a slave, and that right. slave mentality um, and that that victimization that she would have lived under for so long it does totally change. Um, this whole, like you were saying, she she knows right and wrong, and you know has to accept you know what her actions are going to lead to. I don't I don't agree. If you're if you've been raised and treated as a slave your entire life, the only thing you know is your your master's word and control. And she was fearful of them coming in taking her and hurting her and that's clearly how she'd been controlled her whole life. So regardless of her suddenly encountering people who um were treating her nice for the next couple of days you have to remember her whole life she was subjugated ruled over probably abused and and turned into this other kind of person so just two or three days of niceness of hot showers of good meals and good conversations is not going to change a lifetime of abuse yeah, right so yeah i don't i don't think that that in any way um you can't say oh well you know she should still know she was doing something wrong. No, well, as far as she's concerned, she's pleasing her masters. And that was the thing. And I understand that. I guess I was making the the analogy of, you know, people who are abused in real life, you know, and go out and do horrible things. We don't excuse that because they had a poor childhood. Um, we lock them up or execute them, depending on, you know, the nature of their crime. Um, and so... <laughs> I'm going to argue that we don't. I'm going to say that we don't. Not not always. I mean there there are there are cases certainly sure where yes, we do lock them up. They they are executed sure. But by and large when it comes to stuff like that, especially when it can be proven, documented that these people came from horrific backgrounds and all these horrible things happened to them and were and and that they're they're ending whatever it was they did was yeah. the result of all of that. A lot of times the thought is to institutionalize these people not to not to necessarily rehabilitate them to so they can be released later but there is certainly a thought of of uh medical intervention versus killing them i mean i can really only think of one example of of that happening and that's um like centoya brown or whatever her name was um you know that that was she was she was locked up for what she did um and it wasn't until 
her case became so high profile that they that people started to revisit it and say, okay, what is the end result of a lifetime of abuse? Um, but prior, I mean, I can't think of another single case where it's been like, oh yeah, that person had a bad childhood. We should probably medically intervene or we should probably institutionalize them. I mean, no, I, I feel like they go to jail, feel like they go to prison regardless. Um, and that's, that's a social issue worth looking at, um, that I, that I thought maybe is the only saving grace of this episode because we talked about it being kind of a filler, um, kind of, kind of pointless in, in light of Carpenter Street even. Um, but there were a couple interesting social issues that it raised, such as, um, you know, she expected to be bought. She expected to please her master, all of that. That was just the life that she knew. And, and, you know, if the prime directive had been around, it would have been like, who are we to, who are we to judge that? Who are we to interfere with that? But this was, this was just raw humanity. This was pre prime directive. So, you know, archers imposing, humanity's views on the situation which is how they ended up with her on the ship to begin with so if starfleet somehow in a later episode were able to recapture regine back what do you think starfleet would do with her would they punish her i think they would have tried to find her home planet and return her to her people <laughs> that sounds correct that, that seems to be more in line with starfleet's idea you know it's it's not so much we're going to you know bring you into the fold so much as it's we're going to restore you to your natural element because so they would not find her guilty of what she did she's just like you we were saying oh no a product yeah i think that they would be like okay you were you again you were stolen away you were abused you were victimized you were a slave you were all these things and while we still recognize that yeah you did these bad things we're not going to hold you totally responsible for all this because you didn't have a choice you know and it was a reprehensible act sure but again you were forced into it and i think starfleet would have decided instead to send her home try to find her home planet send her back let them deal with her like try to try to determine if this was just how they did things and so then it's a different story you know, or if she was just again truly a victim, and then just let her go home, and that, and then that be the end of her. We've restored you to your place, to your origin. Uh, now you're someone else's problem. And if you, but if you pop up again, now we know you. We we're aware of what you can do. And if you show up again doing the same kind of things, now we're gonna come at you. That sounds about right. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but then they would also have the opportunity to get to know her species mm-hmm. more. Maybe we would find out why she's able to do what she's able yeah. to do and how. Right. You know? Telling you, season five writer's room. <laughs> Can't. Well, that was the other thing. I looked to see if there was any novels or comics that followed up on this, and I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I'm going to say, I, I think really about the only comics they have for Enterprise is the Waypoint with Porthos. Yeah, that's true. Porthos yeah, that's has true. a comic? Like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. not reading that. A short I'm not. story. <laughs> I'm not reading that. I'm gonna check that out. I will say you're not, you're, you're not <laughs> missing much, but yeah. Oh gosh, Porthos has a All comic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on memory so, beta even, and there's nothing. This is like the shortest memory beta page I've ever seen of, of an episode. Or I anything. I really just think like Regine, the actress, was probably somebody's like niece. And so they needed to come up with a way to get her some money. And, you know, and then, of course, and then you have to have your, your Berman moment, too. So they were just trying to, yeah. 
you know. And maybe it's not Archer. Kill two birds with one stone. Right, exactly. And maybe it's not just Archer who has a thing for blondes. Maybe it's also Rick Berman, you know. <laughs> he might be right about that. Uh, so, uh, some some of our favorite moments that we haven't talked about. Uh, that we haven't talked about. Let's see. Yeah. Or or you can expand upon ones that we have. Yeah, so. no, I just, I like the, the alien in the marketplace and uh, his interaction with the crew. And then I like the, the lab explosion and um, <laughs> how they tried to casually play it off with some neural pressure afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I did. There was a thing I did want to bring up, and I just remembered. Okay. The guy that was selling the slaves mm-hmm. was he in on this Zindi thing? Because I thought maybe he is, but the way he fought Archer was kind of going a little far. Like he almost like got himself strangled. Yeah, he did. Hey, that was that was his. Pro- he was fighting. Nah, he was. He <laughs> yeah. he knew something was going on probably, but he was fighting for his property at that point. You know. Yeah, I think that maybe he would, had been told that uh, he would be compensated, and then the fact that he wasn't, and like you know, because it, it's it's or a scheme, right? It's a scheme. So he's thinking maybe this is the way he can get compensated twice. The Zindi are going to pay him, the humans are going to pay him. He just made double the money off of one slave, mm. and then of course when that doesn't happen, yeah, the outrage there is the reason that maybe he fought a little bit harder. But um, again, something that we're not really, um, really told. Keep yeah, it on. or he's just like, wait, she needs to scan me just one more time, guys. I need it one more time. <laughs> Man, how how much of a crappy of a plan do they have? What if Archer hadn't selected her? What if he had picked one of the more exotic <laughs> exotic aliens? You know, had a connection yeah. to. So, but didn't she have something with her eyes? Because even when she was being looked at by flocks like she has interesting eye, you know because there was that whole thing yeah like the yeah. retinas yeah. were See, that I just f- goes to show there's more to her i felt like she's a venus flytrap or like one of those plants that like you know suckers you in and then like you know the yeah. pitcher plant <laughs> yeah the pitcher plant okay. yeah yeah all right so uh final thoughts on this one uh jordan will go ahead and conclude or start to conclude with you. Um, overall, I mean, I enjoyed seeing the uh, the battle with the Zindi. I enjoyed seeing, you know, what kind of technology the Zindi had at their disposal because that was something we hadn't seen prior to this episode. Um, but I thought it was just a filler episode. I thought it was had a had a few weak plot points. Um, most interesting part to me was that you know Archer would have had a prime directive to follow um, if he had been in a, in a later Starfleet. But because he didn't, again, he's kind of imposing humanity's views on slavery, which is, you know, no tolerance uh, onto the situation. And inadvertently, it endangered him and his crew. So the implications of that, um, you know, imposing humanity's viewpoints on other places, on alien cultures and whatnot, um, I thought was the most fascinating aspect of this episode. But beyond that very much a filler episode for me mm-hmm. perry well i think jordan brings up an interesting point about um you know this is once again uh humans imposing their viewpoint on the um on the universe and it's a it's the recurring theme that we see throughout enterprise you know humans constantly misjudging situations miscalculating because of our 
our our biases and to Paul constantly being there to be like, you need to be more objective. You need to step outside of your biodome and recognize that there are countless species who do things so many different ways and your way is not the only way. Um, uh, but even with that, I still feel like this episode is just, um, it, it serves no point. It's, it's nice for like I guess some character development, but it does nothing to further our Zindi storyline. That is is the expanse is why they're there. Um, we the, Archer gains no new information about the Zindi in this one. It doesn't further that pursuit of trying to find more information about the Zindi. Well, they um, did. It leads to, they did capture the reptilian. Yeah, but that the was because of the committed suicide. Yeah, right. and that was and that was because of the attack. Like it, it, again, there was no. It wasn't because they were on the hunt for Zindi that this happened. Everything happened because they got tied up okay. with Regine. If they had just left her alone and moved on, like none of this, none of that other stuff ever would okay. have happened. The damage to the ship, the conflict with the, like all of those things never would have happened. And it's just because of her looking at Archer a certain way and him being unable to just leave her. Um, it's it's one of the few episodes that I feel like Bacula lets me down. <laughs> he doesn't sell me on his interest in her, you know? Like, so far, he'd been doing a great job of being singularly focused and driven, and I really got that. And so to suddenly find him so distracted on this random person just kind of threw me a little okay. bit. Want to wrap us up, Bruce? I think that this episode is not necessary to watch in this arc you could watch this arc and skip this episode and not be lost yes yeah, um, very much it doesn't really add anything to it um but that being said i think the other thing is uh, as we're talking through this i said that i probably haven't seen this episode since its original airing and there may be a reason for that and that is because no one's ever mentioned like oh you gotta ra- watch the rajin episode oh remember that one oh i need to go back to that <laughs> like it's never come up before so it's not on anybody's radar but it, i mean it was it's not a bad episode it's um i mean i i guess i could say i enjoyed it because it does show the weirdness of the expanse you know because she is a different alien that we haven't seen and we don't know right. a whole lot about her so it shows the weirdness of this area of space that we don't even get to revisit later in anything. And then also the, yeah, the seeing the different aliens in the marketplace, again, bringing that alienness to this area and, but also showing that the uh, Zindi are divided between yeah. the different groups, you know, and that they'll do anything to accomplish their mission. They have a weapon. They've got a setback on it, but for some it's like, that's, if that's not going to happen, if that's not going to happen soon, that we've got to go to a, a bioweapon. I mean, they're determined to make destroy Earth in any means that they can, but they don't all agree to it. So I thought that por- part, part of it was interesting. And again, it felt kind of like a TOS episode, very sexual. Gene Ronberry would be like loving this episode, I think, for that reason. But uh, so, yeah, I would say it's it's a it's an OK episode. It's not bad, but it's it's not worth watching. If, if you have to watch just a handful of episodes, you skip this one. All right. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Impulse. So we get to talk about our folk uh, and zombie friends here on this one. <laughs> Very excited about that. Very excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, so. yes, I am. I, I enjoy that episode a lot. I do, so. too. Okay. Yeah, so. That's a good one. And 
before we cut you loose, Bruce, uh, let uh, everybody know where they can find you on the interwebs. Well, I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral, then the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram as Admiral Rex, but I don't really post much on there. But I am on Instagram every day looking at stuff. Uh, but uh, I'm on the Positively Trek podcast with Dan Gunther. We started that over a year ago, and we're, we just recorded episode number 112 because we put multiple episodes out a week sometimes. So our main flagship show is on Tuesdays, and that focuses on anything Star Trek. We'll have interviews or topics. We review Star Trek news. Whatever it is we want to do, we do on that main show. And then on Mondays, if there's a new episode of a Star Trek series out, then we will review that episode on Mondays and on every other Friday is our book club episode, which we dedicate to the novels and the comics, and we review it on there. So that's why we've gone through so many episodes in uh-huh. a year, and we're over over 100. And then I'm occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast. Um, not on as much as I used to, but I do make occasional appearances on that. And I'm on a upcoming episode of Literary Treks, which I used to co-host, but I make guest appearances on that. And I was just on an episode. What was I just? Oh, I did uh, Star Wars Bookworms recently. Okay. An episode on that. So I read some Star Wars stuff too. But my my big thing is Star Trek. Star Wars is right after that. It's and, okay. And about... I'm not going to kill you because you also do Star Wars. You don't have to. You <laughs> yeah. don't have to equivocate. You don't have to equivocate. We're not going to murder you in your sleep. <laughs> and I say, and also uh, occasional guest on the uh, Unready Room too, right? That's true. Yes, the live show. Uh, on Kurt Tracks, uh, on it's Star Trek backwards yeah. is the word Kurt Tracks, and uh, it's a live show just talking about random episodes of Star Trek with uh, Brandy Jacula and Dan Gunther. But yeah, I occasionally show up on that. The problem is they do that like on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. and a lot of times that's like like you know my family wants to do like a family movie night or we're going out <laughs> or we're you know doing stuff. So it's hard for me to do a live show every Saturday or every other Saturday now that they're doing those. How do you maintain that kind of a schedule? That's that's a lot of shows. <laughs> I have a difficult problem because anytime I like, oh, I want to do this. Oh, I want to do that. And then afterwards, I'm like, why am I doing all this? I don't have time. <laughs> and, you know, when you do a show where you're reading books, that takes up a lot of time. Right. So and so when we did when Dan and I were on literary tracks, we then went to our own podcast. So we purposely made sure that it was like every other week just to pace it out. But then Matt Rushing, who went returned to Larry Trex, is like, Bruce, I can use your help. And I'm like, I'll help for a while. And now I'm reading for both shows. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Yeah, you got got. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, at least, you know, a couple, couple episodes are going to be, be the same because I'm sure you both are going to be talking about Wonderland. Yeah. So in those cases, well, we already interviewed Una McCormick. That mm-hmm. episode just came out last Friday. We were the first podcast Una was on about her book Wonderland. Oh, cool. And uh, so that's a really good interview. But yes, Larry Trex is going to be interviewing her too. But I won't be on that episode because they've asked me to do those with authors. And I'm like, I don't want to interview them on one show and then turn around and do the same thing for another show. Yeah. It's yeah. too repetitive. That makes sense. You know? That makes sense. Yeah. So. so. Who else besides Una McCormick have you um, interviewed on that show? I mean, we've interviewed like all the authors. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've David Mack, Dayton War. I mean, you just named John Jackson wow. Miller, whatever. All those all those guys. I'm actually good friends with uh, David R. George III. He lives locally. We do lunch every other month until COVID hit. Right. So that doesn't help. Gotcha. But uh, 
And then, um, but we've had uh, Adil Hussein, who played uh, Sahil in Discovery this last season mm -hmm. on the uh, Derelict, you know, uh, uh, Federation Starbase. He was on our episode uh, a couple months ago, I guess. So, I mean, we get a variety of different people. That's awesome. So also, yeah. the uh, YouTuber Steve Shives was on Positively Trek. Yeah, we'll do YouTubers. Yeah, we have all, just anybody who wants to talk Star Trek, we will have them on. Like you guys. Just yeah. let me know. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I can, so. I can talk Trek anytime, anyplace. Man, don't give me a window. So I, I, I know who to submit my Equinox short story to about how the Equinox ended up in the Delta Quadrant. Oh. <laughs> All right, then we're going to have to have you guys on. I'll all have right. to all this stuff. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you're definitely welcome back anytime, and I'll let Dan know that he's welcome on anytime as well. So. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's fun to do this. Yeah, def definitely. Thanks for uh, joining us and yeah, listeners. Thanks, again. thanks yes, for. Thanks uh, again. Yeah, thank thanks for listening to our wonderful discussion about Regine this week. Absolutely. I almost wish it would have been a different episode now, but. Uh, <laughs> It was really good to it was really good to work with you, Bruce. Talk to you a little you bit. You know what? Sometimes the not the best episodes, the you know the not so good episodes are sometimes the more fun to talk about. Yeah, because you just <laughs> yeah. love picking them apart. They we know they weren't so great, so it's nice to deconstruct why they weren't. Like last week when we talked about extinction. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. we tore that one up. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> I you know some of the best episodes that we enjoyed recording at Literary Treks was reviewing the Gold Key comics because they're so bad that they're so fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, Perry Fries, Jordan Brown, and Chris Trebuzio, and is a part of the Hollow Sweet Media Podcast Network. To keep up with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01 Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at the Chris Hill, Perry on Twitter at Perry064 Tribs on Twitter at TrekFanLV and Jordan is on Twitter at J underscore Douglas. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search field and we'll see you there. Thanks again for listening and until next time, keep shirts on. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. Why, why, where is this drama coming from? Why is Picard being a right arse to, to, his, to his first officer? Yeah, and also as well, the, um, uh, oh, does a captain's life mean nothing to you then? Yes, yeah, it's, there, there's, it's there's this is weird strange. tension. 
it's it's weird. You Riker's addicted to Geordie, Picard's addicted to, to Riker. <laughs> You've got um, Crusher being aloof to everyone. You've got Tasha being over earnest. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek preview podcast. And he's like, you what, Doctor? And the Doctor's like, that's right, Captain. I will have your guts for garters. I'm trying to work out whose writing I would have preferred for that scene then. Yours or the writer of the episode? I mean, do you even need to ask? I would have made it spectacular. <laughs> Probably bring glitter and things involved in it, yours. McCoy throws glitter at Kirk and it just takes on the And do you know how they solve the situation? Dance off! And a disco ball drops down from the ceiling and Kirk's like, I had that installed when we first moved in. I'm waiting to use it. (laughs) Disco ball on the bridge, that'd be great. I can imagine RuPaul steps up then. Yeah. If you can't love yourself. How in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? Amen. All right, now let the music play. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.